0: Well, let's take our Bibles together. Uh, we're in John chapter 16 as we continue through our series in the Gospel of John. I was uh, talking to a, another pastor friend uh, earlier this week. I was up in Sioux Falls, and uh, he's asked me what I'm preaching on. I said, well, in the Gospel of John, and I, I he said, well, where are you? And I said, well, chapter 16, and... And, uh, and, of course, the, the question is, You know, you going to be, be able to time the resurrection of Jesus with the, the flow through the Gospel of John? I have no certainty that we can do that. So we may be preaching the resurrection from some other text and then doing the resurrection again once we get to it in the Gospel of John. But that's okay, because guess what? Every time we get together, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's what our gathering is uh, today, as always, every Lord's Day. Well, John chapter 16 Verses 16 through 33, a little bit longer section here. If you're using the church Bible, 902 is where you're going to find that. John chapter 16. Let's hear God's word. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? So so as they were saying, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive in your joy, that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you world. This is God's word. We need to pray, and so I invite you to do that with me now. We need, Father, for you to speak. We need your voice to transcend the voice of a mere man. We need to hear your word. Lord, what I need is... Strength to do this, grace to not get in the way of what you're saying, strength to be clear and Lord, more than anything for the truth of your word to penetrate our hearts so that it brings about the change that you desire to bring in us. You want us to be conformed to the image of your son, Father and because we belong to you, we want that too. So Lord, use this time. Use my feeble words and do something in us that we cannot do it for ourselves. Make us like your son. Bring glory to your son even now. Give us ears that anticipate that you're speaking. Give us hearts that are ready to apply. Do this by your spirit, we pray. For the glory of Jesus, amen. I'm sure someone has once said to you when you express some concern about something, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Now, if it's a small thing, it might help. It might just get your head straight. But you know, if you're experiencing some heavy anxiety, if the unknowns before you are paralyzing to you, then Somebody just saying, don't worry about it, doesn't really help, does it? I mean, you wish they would. You wish those words would be effective. Don't worry about it, and it'll just take care of everything. You wish their words were effective in accomplishing what you've been telling yourself. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. You see, you need a reason not to worry about it. You need something more than a platitude, right? Now, well-meaning people say this, don't worry about it. And the reality is that the reason when somebody says don't worry about it or just relax, the reason does, that doesn't fix it for you is because that person doesn't rule the universe or know the future, right? That's why. I mean, it's, it's a... I'm not saying it's wrong to say that, but ultimately... It's well-wishing and hopeful, but it isn't powerful. But there is someone who, when he says to us, don't worry, take heart. Someone, as we'll see in this Bible passage, that someone is Jesus, and he says those words. Take heart. It means everything, because he is in ultimate control. Now, now in our Bible text that we, we just read together here, Jesus is in his last hours with his disciples. So he's, uh, they've left the upper room. We don't know exactly where they are in the journey from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe they're there, or maybe they're on their way. It doesn't matter. But these are, these are the last hours. Soon he will be seized, brutally beaten, accused Of things he did not do in a mock trial and ultimately hung on a cross. That'll soon happen. But this extended conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, knowing what's ahead of him, he's preparing them. The Bible commentators call this the farewell discourse. Jesus wants them to know what's to come, he wants them to be prepared, he wants them to know what's going to happen immediately, but also long into the future. Now, they're having trouble. They're they're confused about what they're hearing Jesus say. But Jesus is saying to them, I've got this. Don't worry. Take heart. Have courage. Now, I'll remind you, as, as we've often come back to this theme, because it's John's theme, that the purpose of this gospel, the reason that John wrote it, The reason he included this story and the the rest of the, the material about Jesus in this gospel is so that we, the reader, we, the church, might believe, might come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, so that believing him and understanding that truly believing in him means eternal life. Now, what Jesus promised to his disciples and to all of us who truly believe in him, he wants us to understand He wants us to trust him. He wants us to take courage. And from this passage of scripture, because Jesus has this, because he's got this in his control, we, like the disciples, can have joy. We, like the disciples, can have confidence in prayer. And we, like Jesus' disciples, can have peace. Joy, confidence, and peace. That's what Jesus gives. That's what Jesus gives to all who believe in him. So as we kind of move our way through this, let's first deal with the, the first one that I talked about. Jesus is saying this, take heart, have courage. Because you believe, you have joy. You have joy. Now, uh, medical technology has come a long way to mitigate the pains of childbirth. I'm certainly no expert in the degrees of pain, but I do remember when Kathy was in labor with our first, there was a point when, when some of those labor pains hit, and this was before the epidural, uh, I saw her eyes nearly come out of her head and uh, felt that as she was gripping my hand, she could literally rip my arm from its socket. I, I remember that experience. And so today, of course, we, we have the, the joy of knowing uh, two of our church families. have welcomed new ones, Jess and, and uh, Sarah. Annika and Lois. Um, but in the celebration of these gifts of life from the Lord, no one is oblivious to the fact, we don't talk about it after, but, but there was some pretty intense pain that preceded that joy of welcoming the new one, right? Before mom could hold baby on her chest, she had to experience that, that, that great suffering And Jesus uses this this expression, this imagery, to to help the disciples understand something. There's gonna be pain. But on the other side of it, there's joy. Verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, Jesus says, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. So he's saying to the disciples, you're not gonna remember the anguish. The joy will be so great that you won't remember the trouble, but he's preparing them because there will be trouble. Look, he knows they're going to be horrified. They're going to be frightened. They're going to be confused and sorrowful. All the while, the world around will be celebrating. They'll be oblivious to your experience. Now, I'm going to remind you here that Jesus had already told his disciples the things things that they couldn't fully understand. There were things, apart from the suffering that they were going to experience, things that they didn't really have ways to get in their heads. Going away, going to the Father, he said that. He talked to them about another another helper, the Spirit of Truth. What does that mean? How does that work? They were told, You're going to be witnesses, He'll be a witness through you. He told them other things that didn't fit their their long held preconceptions about what it meant that Jesus was Messiah. Jesus told them, of course, and He's said this over and over again He's told them that He was going to die. And Jesus acknowledged that sorrow. And he told them there will be even more sorrow because I believe they would be first-hand witnesses to his death. So of course, of course, they were sorrowful. But what Jesus does, he puts a time frame on it. Verse 16, a little while, you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. Now, the disciples are understandably confused by this. And you can see verses 17 through 19, John just records the interchange or the, the thoughts. A little while, and a little while will not see me, and a little while will see me. The disciples talking back and forth. Jesus says, I, I get it, you're, you're confused about this. He says, verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Weeping and lamenting is, is what you do at a funeral, you will weep and lament. You will mourn for my loss. The world will be rejoicing. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And just like the childbirth, you're going to forget. You're going to forget that sorrow. The religious leaders would get their way. It will appear that the devil has won the day. Now, Jesus had spoken that he would be back, that he would raise from the dead. Uh, If you read through the Gospel of Mark, there are three occasions where Jesus says, I will die and rise again. Now, that seems pretty plain to us. Yes, he'll die and he'll emerge from the tomb. But you could see in the Gospel of Mark, particularly when the disciples heard Jesus saying that, they wondered what kind of saying this was. I mean, it's plain to us looking back. So the way I take it is perhaps the disciples were thinking when Jesus is saying he's going to rise, like all faithful Jews, all the faithful people of God believed in a final resurrection, perhaps like Martha said back in John eleven twenty four, 24, oh, well, of course, he'll rise at the end of time. Maybe that's what the disciples are thinking. Yeah, 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 I know, we'll all be raised. Jesus is saying, no, this is something more immediate. The key in verse 16 is a little while. In a little while, you'll not see me, and in a little while, you'll see me. And that would be the reason that their sorrow would turn to joy. But, but, but I don't want you to see this reason for joy is too small. Yes, they would see Jesus alive again. They would have their friend and master back, again, in a different way, but the greater joy they would come to realize by the witness of the Holy Spirit that Jesus rising again would be more than just seeing their master and friend alive after his horrific death. The resurrection, in fact, would be the joy for all God's people from history past to the end of the age. Joy for those who had never been with him bodily. And brothers and sisters, joy for us. We sang about it. A lot of songs we sang this morning, we sang about the resurrection of Jesus and the joy of it. This is why Jesus said to the religious leaders back in chapter eight, verse 56, he said to them, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham was glad to see the day of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that Abraham fully understood that Jesus would die and rise again. But Abraham rejoiced at the salvation that Jesus would bring to God's people. And this salvation would ultimately, in retrospect, in us looking back in the event and the apostles looking back in the event, they would see that this, this salvation was anchored in Jesus' death and his resurrection. So it was the joy of Abraham. It was the joy of Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all of the prophets and King David and countless others through the history of the world waiting for someone, that one that God promised would deliver them from enslavement and bring God's people under his omnibenevolent rule. And as I already said, for the disciples, post-resurrection as they looked back and for all of us today and for people not yet born all of us to the end of the age we're going to look back we do look back and we understand more fully how our salvation is secured it's what jesus resurrection means what it means it's new life for all who believe we get this our dying is no mystery We experience the consequence of that every single day, the consequence of Adam's sin that we've inherited, right? We fight against sin, the temptation. We fight against the fact that we give in. And the fact that we deal with sin in our body, not just as specific sins, but just the very sin fact on humanity, the thing that causes our physical death, the thing that ultimately brings disease and suffering, sin that causes strife between people, sin that is the reason for war, sin that is the reason for any ill thing that happens in the earth. Ultimately, it goes back to our sin in Adam and the curse that we brought to creation. We get death. We get that. And because of Jesus' resurrection, and if you are in Christ today by faith, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. In spite of death, in spite of the physical suffering, you have been given something that you couldn't do for yourself. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's that old? That old. That old is that enslavement to sin. That old is the the ultimate consequence of sin that would drag us not only into a physical grave, but into an eternity, an eternity separated from the life of God, experiencing the full measure of his wrath for our sin. New creation takes us out of that trajectory and puts us on a path of eternal life. So we have that promise now. So if you're in Christ today, you no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. Sin no longer has claim on you and while you will still experience the mortal consequence, the physical consequence of your sin and eventually go to a grave, you have been marked as part of the family of God for all eternity. And so we have that new life now, but there's more. There is more, and I spoke of it, the new life. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 describes what Jesus' resurrection does for us ultimately. Christ, he says in 15 20 and 22, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, he's the first to do this, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as a man, as by a man came death, that's Adam. By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so all, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And the Apostle Paul goes on to explain that we get new bodies, bodies that are no longer corruptible, bodies like the Lord Jesus' body. No pain, no suffering. No susceptibility to disease. No grief. Only eternal, unmitigated joy. All because Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus said, your sorrow, that will turn to joy. And listen, sorrow remains, doesn't it? This life is, has its sorrows. But that sorrow is going to turn to joy. In fact, as believers in Jesus, we can look beyond that sorrow and hold on to that greater joy because Jesus has been raised. And that's why we're here this morning, right? Because Jesus has been raised. I mean, there would be no point in gathering if, we, if Jesus did not walk out of that tomb. We'd be fools to be here if Jesus did not walk out of that tomb. This day is called Sunday. I mean, it was named from the Greek astrology, named after the sun, but it is Sunday, S-O-N day, because Jesus walked out of the tomb. Believers, that's what we celebrate today. So take heart. You have been set apart. Jesus says, I've got this. Sorrow, because he walks out of the tomb, because he promised that he would. Take heart. You can have joy. And I hope that's your place this morning. I hope you have come here and if you didn't have joy, I hope it was stoked as you're with other believers this morning. Well, second, because you believe, take heart. You can have confidence in prayer. You can have confidence in prayer. That's what Jesus promised his disciples. Um, in in the, um, the play, some of you had to read this in high school or study it, maybe in lit class, uh, Romeo and Juliet. He asks the question, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. What's in a name? Well, maybe for Romeo, the name would have no real bearing on young love. Names do matter because what they do is they represent the reputation of the bearer, right? It's why companies with their own corporate names are so protective of their brand, right? In, some, in, in the same way, family names carry much weight. Uh, for example, I'll just give you one. Uh, you probably don't know this. I'm just going to give a little bit of Canadian info here. But the, the present Prime Minister of Canada, his name's Justin Trudeau. And um, he was plucked pretty much out of obscurity, and he became the Prime Minister at a pretty young age. Many people ask the question, why? Well, his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, was prime minister on two separate occasions. His name, many contend, simply got him into office. There's a Trudeau. They liked his dad, let's get him. He was in relative obscurity till then. Names mean something, right? There's a reputation. And there's something in Jesus' name. Jesus tells us there's something in his name, right? There is everything in Jesus' name. Because Jesus' name means his authority. Jesus' name is his reputation. Jesus' name is his mission. Jesus' name is his favored status as the preeminent son and eternal son of God. So when Jesus said to his disciples in verses 23 and 24, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. In the name of Jesus, he says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy. We're back to that. Your joy may be full. So this is for us too. We can have confidence that the Father will hear and answer our prayers. That God the Father will hear and answer the prayers of all of his own people, the ones who have believed in Jesus. Now Jesus explains the reason. And this is important. important. Verses 26 and 27. Why can we come to the Father? In that day, he says to them, you will ask in my name. Now understand here, why is he telling the disciples this? Because they won't, they won't have Jesus there personally. Uh, Jesus, what should we do about these sick people? Jesus, what, what is the answer to that question that Pharisee asked about Jesus' Well, he's not there bodily. But he tells his disciples, you'll ask the Father in my name. Why? And he will answer. Verses 26, 27, in that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, he's not saying I'm gonna be doing this for you in your place. No, he's telling them of their own status. For the Father himself, verse 27, loves you. The Father himself loves you. And why? Because you have loved me and I believe that I came from God. You see, this is how it works for us. The Father loves you because you believe in Jesus, that you believe he came from God. This is God's love for us. We have it because we have believed in his son but yet, this was also God's initiative. I'll remind you what it says in Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He anticipating our belief, knowing that he draw us into belief, God the Father sent Jesus, his son, out of love to awaken us to our need for a savior, to open our eyes to who Jesus is and put our faith in him so that he would then, in return, express his love. It was an act of love on his first, uh, his, it was an act of love on God's part to initiate that, and God responds to our faith with still more love. And this is love, John says in his first epistle. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the wrath-absorbing, wrath-averting sacrifice for our sins. So if you have faith in Jesus, you stand in Jesus before the Father. That's your status. So the Father welcomes you. He welcomes you in as much as he welcomes the Son. The Son comes into the presence of the Father. You stand in the Son before the Father. You come into the presence of the Father. You are coming in Jesus' name. That's how it works. And so the writer of Hebrews can say this with absolute confidence and a a sureness that we can hold on to. Let us then, it says in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Have confidence. Now, asking the Father in Jesus' name, understand this, is asking on his authority but also asking in accordance with his reputation, according to his purposes. That's what it means to be asking in his name, according to his glory, according to his mission. We've got to understand this. It's not a carte blanche, anything kind of asking, right? So if I go before the Father and I ask for something to indulge my flesh, to feed my greed, my lust, my pride, that's not asking in Jesus' name. So it's not anything It's particular to Jesus' reputation. It's particular to Jesus' mission. So what can I ask the Father? Anything that the Bible commands. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. God, in Jesus' name, teach me to love my enemy. Teach me to love the unlovable. The one who persecutes me. The Bible says, Do not covet God. I want to want what you want me to want. Teach me to be content with what you've given to me. Jesus says, The Father, that's, that's the will of God. Pray the will of God. Psalm 86 says, um, I think it's Psalm 86, 11. I don't know, I'm not sure of that reference, but delight yourself in the Lord, correct me here, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will implant into you the desires you ought to have. You see, that's how we're asking in Jesus' name. It is a, a willingness to say, whatever you want, God, whatever is your will, that's what I want to want. And when I know I don't want it, I'm praying that God would make me want it. Listen, I understand the battle. I get it. You see what the Bible says. Lots of, lots of laws, things to, to, to not do, and things that we should do. But I don't always want to do the thing that the Bible says. My flesh says, eh, might not be fun. So how do I pray? God, change my heart. Make me love what you love. Make me loathe what you loathe. And when I know it's my sin, God, make me hate that. Make it repulsive to me. God loves to answer those prayers, He wants to deliver you from the grip of evil. So we can pray in Jesus' name for forgiveness. We can pray for the salvation of people we love. We can pray for unity in the body of Christ. We can pray for us to increase our love for one another. We can pray for forgiving hearts. We can pray for effectiveness in ministry. We can pray for what brings Jesus' glory. And so pray confidently because Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will give it. And when you're, when you're uncertain and, and feeling you don't know, you don't know what to do, like the disciples were feeling. We go back to Philippians, where there was some dispute in the church. The Apostle Paul says, look, with Philippians four, the Lord's at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's what we get. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Take heart. Because you believe in Jesus, you can have confidence in prayer. Finally, take heart. Because you believe, you can have peace. 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 Uh, This past week, there was a horrible storm that spawned some deadly tornadoes and it swept through the Nashville area. Perhaps you saw this in the news leaving, I think, more than a couple of dozen people dead. Really, really horrific. Hundreds are without homes. There was no warning. It happened in the middle of the night. And we get it. We live in what's the northern part of Tornado Alley. We know that it can happen here. There's, there was no warming, warning. Meteorologists study these things, of course. They, they study them a long time. And after these events happen, they study what the weather patterns around it. As best as they can, they can say, well, the conditions are right for, but they don't know. Nothing's absolute about their study. The problem is that try as we might, we can never know for certain if and when these things occur, whether it's a flood or a tornado, whether there will be loss of life or not, whether it's a virus, right? It's the reality of life, isn't it? Trouble comes, bad weather, disease. And for the disciples of Jesus, there's that. And on top of it, there's the opposition of the world to them. And that's our reality, too. While there's natural trouble in the world that we have to experience, there's the particularized trouble in the world of simply belonging to Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples, verse 32, The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. This will happen. Jesus was being prophetic here. He didn't say this might happen. No, they would be scattered. They would be driven to their own homes. And they will leave Jesus alone. Now, he says this. Look, I'm not alone alone. The Father's with me. Now, that doesn't sound like very good news, And he follows that up in 33 with this I've said these things to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, why would Jesus say, I've told you these things, and then so that you could have peace? I've told you these things. You're going to be scattered. I told you these things. You'll abandon me. I told you these things. Well, these things is more than just the immediate what's gonna happen to them after. But these things includes the stuff that he had said earlier in the chapter. Jesus promised things that include joy in Jesus' resurrection. These things, you can, these things are where you get your peace. The confidence of knowing that God is gonna hear and answer your prayer if you pray in Jesus' name. These things, these things have told you. So yes, there would be trouble in the world, but Jesus promised a transcendent, Peace in Jesus. So, that peace that he promised is first internal. I mean, he's explaining that it's internal. That is to say, in spite of this, you'll be at peace. It's that confidence that the people of God have always held on to that confidence that, that God is the one who brings peace in spite of trouble. Listen, Christians are not Im- immune to turmoil, obviously. I just found out this week. Davey told me, and Shane uh, and I talked about this yesterday. Uh, tragic, uh, the pastor who preceded him at Center Baptist. He was there a year and a half ago. He took his own life. Just a shock. It hit us. I mean, I, I was with that man. Shane worked closely with him. I was with him a couple years ago in just our lead team meetings. What, what would come over him? I don't have the answers. But I would have wanted, I would have wanted him to know, Psalm 46, that God is our refuge and strength. And whatever he was feeling in his life, to know that God is a very present help in trouble, to know in his soul, in his heart of hearts, that that therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at a swelling, if the whole earth just collapses in on itself, it's okay. God is our refuge. Oh, I would have longed for Jeremy to know that. Jesus promises peace in the midst of turmoil in this world because he's offering something greater in himself. And listen, if if you're there this morning, and I know this happens, some of you have been at that place where you've been so terribly despondent and you've contemplated something as destructive as taking your own life. I plead with you. Even if the whole earth gives way, even if everything else collapses, you lose your job, you lose your marriage, you lose your children, you lose all your possessions, you lose everything. If your body breaks down so that it no longer does everything and you're dying naturally from disease or whatever, God is your refuge. Jesus said, I give peace. Find your peace in Jesus. Jesus said this earlier, it's a different kind of peace. It's not like everything's okay around me. It's like everything's okay with God. That's what that peace is. It's not like everything's fine here. It's everything's fine here. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. They have a picture of peace that's different. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's that internal peace which says it's okay, but you know what the foundation of it is? That internal peace, knowing everything's okay, it comes from a a vertical peace. This is what Jesus came to the earth to give. Vertical peace with God so that we could be reconciled. Because just as the Apostle Paul says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in who? Jesus. We have looked to him in faith. We see at the cross he took my sin. God counts me righteous there. We have been justified by believing in him, right? Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Listen, I I know we each have a record of sins. They're the things that people know. And there's a stuff that only God knows. If that record was held out, my record was held out before you and yours before me, we'd be horrified at what we're looking at. But God sees it all. And he's not horrified. Because he put it on his son. And you are justified. And that's not just the things that you have done. Because you've believed in Jesus, and this isn't a license to sin, but because you've believed in Jesus, it's the things that you haven't done yet. You have peace with God. This is the peace that changes our priorities. This is the peace that changes the the trajectory of our lives, isn't it? Because we have peace with God, because there's that vertical peace, I want different things. You want different things. And the Apostle Paul reminds us, think of those things. Think of that relationship. That's what is going to order your life now. You have peace with God. Therefore, live in a way that you have that peace. Because he says this in Romans 8:6. the mindset on the flesh, that's death. He's pointing to the world. But the mindset on the spirit, the one that Jesus said, your helper. The mindset and spirit is life and peace. So take heart. That's what Jesus says. Take heart. Have courage. I, I, I've heard, I read this somewhere and I'm confident that it's true. Courage, when Jesus says take heart, have courage. That's what that means. Courage itself isn't the absence of fear, it's not that we don't feel fearful. That's not what courage is. Courage is the absence of self. This is the whole arrangement here. We abandon ourselves to Jesus. So while we may be fearful in a small sense about the things around us and the things that we don't know, we can take courage because Jesus has it. Jesus has it. He's got it in his hands. He's got it under control. And he is for your joy. Jesus has it and he has given you free access to the Father so you can have confidence because the Father loves you to go to him in prayer for whatever that righteous thing is that you want, whatever is for Jesus' name and for his sake. And you can have peace with God, peace that surpasses all human understanding, the kind of peace that while we wait for his glorious appearing at the end of time, that peace that will guard our hearts and minds. Hold on to what Jesus promised. Take heart and have courage. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful, so grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful for this, the immensity of the gift that you've given to us. Not only our justification in your sight, but but the gifts here and now that we get to enjoy. Joy, confidence to come before you and peace, that is, by any human standard, unknowable. And yet you give it. Father, teach us to be those people. Teach us to be those people who live confidently in Jesus Christ. We want to bring glory to him. That's what the disciples did when Jesus was raised and ascended to, the, to you, Father. And that's what we want to do as your disciples today. So help us to take courage, to take heart in Jesus. And we pray it in his name, amen.